Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it really is great to see you. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Kyle, uh, one of the pastors. You're just excited, excited about, about today, excited uh, for what I believe uh, God, God has for us from the Bible. And so let's get right into this uh, this morning. If you have a Bible with you, find the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah, that's a good one, good one. It's the fifth book in the Bible, uh, way back towards the, on the left side. Deuteronomy, we're going to be in chapter number eight. We've been in this series uh, for a number of weeks now. It, it was called Stuck for a while, and then we transitioned to Unstuck. And today is Turkey edition of Unstuck. <laughs> That's good stuff right there, isn't it? Yeah. We spent hours creating that, though. I'm just kidding. But uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I, I really hope you had a great week and a great weekend with, with family and uh, eating and all that. This Cardigan, I used to be able to drip it, like zip it up, and now I've gone open with it because of Thanksgiving. <laughs> Never mind. Might be the only one, but that wasn't funny. But I love Thanksgiving. Anybody with me? I love Thanksgiving. I love the family part. I just, I like that. And uh, I love getting together. I love just the, the purposeful time that we spend. I love the eating. Uh, it, it, is, it is just a great thing. Uh, turkey and all of the wonderful things that go with that. I read something this week, 90% of American families have turkey on Thanksgiving. I don't know what the other 10% do, but they do something other than turkey. And so we're, anyone do not turkey for your Thanksgiving? Okay, look at like 10%. Wow, this is about right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but mashed potatoes, stuffing, all of that, getting cousins together for a few hours of chaos and I, I love I love laying on the couch afterwards is that anyone else's tradition or is that just me just like you know I might doesn't seem like I'm old enough to do that because I grew up with all my uncles and stuff like vegging out on the couch after and I thought you guys are so old and now it's like the highlight of Thanksgiving <laughs> yes it is so good but uh, I, I'm sure you're you're aware of some of this, but like a bit of the historical stuff behind Thanksgiving, it's kind of it's kind of fascinating stuff. Uh, before we get to the Bible, September of 1620, a uh, a ship known as the Mayflower uh, arrived in Plymouth, uh, that's in Massachusetts, and 102 people were on that ship. Uh, less than half made it. If you didn't know that, and so they arrived. 66-day uh, trip across the Atlantic Ocean. These were mostly religious people, uh, people who were seeking a new home where they could practice their faith because in England and in Europe, that was an issue uh, for them. There was some, some on the boat as well, individuals that were just kind of lured by the idea of, uh, uh, of the promise of prosperity in the land and all that type of stuff. Uh, but man, this, the first winter, and, and when you look back and you read this stuff, the first winter for them was absolutely brutal. Uh, they, spent, they spent almost entire, that entire winter on the boat still, trying to just figure out how to survive, suffered horribly, exposure, disease, outbreaks, all that type of stuff. Uh, March finally comes, and we have less than half of the 102 still alive at that point, and they're they received this astonishing visit from a member of a Native American tribe who greeted them in English. Didn't know that, did you? Here's the story behind that in 30 seconds. This Native American, uh, years before, had been kidnapped by European settlers 
shipped back over to England and forced to be a slave, where he then escaped and sneaks on a boat and finds his way back. But in the process, learns English. He shows up to these new European Americans, I guess you could call them, greets them in English. I thought that was, uh, that was so cool. But the pilgrims, so weak and ill from all of this type of stuff, they would have died if not for the help of these Native Americans, taught them how to cultivate corn, extract sap from maple trees, that sounds awesome, fish in the rivers, avoid poisonous plants, all that type of stuff. And this relationship between this group of 50 or so British settlers, like it would last somewhere around 50 years and it was this incredibly healthy thing Um, Tragically, it remains one of the sole examples of harmony between European colonies and the Native Americans in history. All that leads up to what most consider to be the first Thanksgiving, November of 1621, a year after they had arrived. These colonists had their first successful corn harvest, and it was this really big deal. They invited their Native American friends for a three-day feast. Come on, we're messing this up. We only go a day, some like three-day feast, giving thanks, giving thanks to the Native Americans, but even more, historically, they gave thanks to God because that was why they were there, and this was, you know, th- that just meant a, a lot to them. The, the, a pilgrim chronicler wrote about the first Thanksgiving. Apparently, they sent four hunters out, and they returned with a bunch of what they called fowl, all right, kind of a wild bird type of thing, and five deer, And that's really what they had for their uh, Thanksgiving. Two years later, they held the second Thanksgiving. This this is kind of cool, this Thanksgiving celebration to mark the end of a long drought uh, that had threatened that year's harvest. The leader of the pilgrims, a man named Bradford, called for a religious fast. If you don't know what a fast is, Bible thing where you don't eat. And for the purpose of prayer. And so the entire, the entire colony fasted and prayed to God that God would help them because they were you know, right at the brink of survival there. Uh, days of fasting led to this second Thanksgiving celebration which really set the tone for this yearly celebration. And there's all sorts of other things in history that have come along the way, uh, making it official and all of that. But like that, that's why we did this. Uh, this week to celebrate with families and friends gathered together at the dinner table purposefully with this attempt to give thanks, to give thanks. Now here's why I bring any of this up. This was awesome for some of us and for some of us you're like, I could care less. I don't want to come to school, okay, but that's okay. Uh, Here's why I bring this up. Gratitude, gratitude is a powerful thing much more powerful than you could ever imagine. In fact, if you're a teenager in this room right now and you, like, and you want to, parents, don't listen for a second, okay? Uh, just, just between me and you, if you want to manipulate your parents into buying you things and being kind and all of that type of stuff, I'm just telling you, gratitude is like the way you do it. As a parent, if, if we feel grateful, if, if we sense gratefulness in you, like there's just something special. Most of the time, I think parents, we, we just kind of feel this, you know, you owe it to me, I'm your kid, okay? All right, that was just, you just write that down. If that, that, right there, that's good. But here's why we're talking about this today. Uh, if you truly desire for things to be different in your relationship with God, 
if you desire for things to go farther and go to the next level, if you want to get unstuck, because we've been talking about how the average American Christian is really not growing, not moving, a stagnant, stuck type of feeling when it comes to their relationship with God. If you want to get unstuck, I'm, I'm telling you, if you can learn how to cultivate and practice gratitude in your life when it comes to your relationship with God, it will blow things open for you. And I want to, I want to show you that today. Uh, and so that's enough of an introduction. Let's get to the Bible. I want to ask you to stand with me all over this place. And let's begin by reading a passage of Scripture together. Deuteronomy, we're going to start in chapter 8 and just uh, begin with verse number 10. Uh, here's what it says. Read this with me on the screen. Uh, follow along as I read. It says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Let's pray. God, we, we just take a deep breath kind of all together and really just purposely welcome you into this moment and, and into everything that we do right now. God, we want to hear your voice. We want your very word to come and to move in us and through us, challenge us and change us. And so, God, I just pray, I pray that we would be open. I pray, God, that we would be expectant uh, God, that we would sit on the edge of our seats and truly lean in to what you have for us today. And so, God, I just pray that you would help me and, and use me. And God, that, that every word that I speak throughout the next few minutes would just be truly uh, like from you. And, uh, and so, God, I just give this time to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. <clears throat> All right, here we go. You ready? Uh, we like to throw around the words joy and happiness, you know, and uh, I want to I wanna start by just talking about a little bit of the difference between the two, at least from um, more of a psychology perspective, and, and uh, we'll get somewhere with this, I promise. Uh, happiness, happiness seems to be directly linked more with circumstances, okay, where joy is more related to the overall way a person views the world around them. Uh, I'll explain it this way. You can experience happiness in moments, uh, whether that's watching the Vikings win a football game and you feel that, okay? <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right, that was funny. <laughs> uh, or, or watching your kids do something, going to Disney World with them and, you know, in the midst of all the lines, you have a moment of happiness or whatever, okay? Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. You understand that. You can watch a movie and feel happy. You can buy something and feel happy. Uh, that happiness, in a way, is this momentary thing, this momentary feeling that we get uh, temporary based on a situation or a circumstance uh, in that way, okay? Joy, on the other hand, is not temporary because it is not based on circumstances. You can experience 
a, a joy-filled life even when circumstances are not good, whether things are bad in your life or good in your life, because joy has more to do with the overall way that a person views the world and views life. Okay, and so that right there can lead to this underlying deep sense of joy that just overflows out of you and out of your life. Now, of course, momentary happiness, great thing. I love to watch my kids do something and, and you'd be so proud and you're happy and all of that. But clearly, this deep down internal lasting joy is what we all really want. It's, it's what we're after uh, and it's what so many in our culture and even so many of us here today really probably would feel like we're lacking. That deep down stuff. That's why we turn to all sorts of things for momentary whatever uh, in order to try to fill our lives in a way that does that. Uh, if you don't think that's an issue in America, then, then I don't know what you've been doing. Okay, it, it is a big deal and it's all over the place. Why do I bring any of this up? Well, a well-known doctor, her name is Brené Brown, written a whole bunch of books on, uh, written a lot about joy. She's not a Christian, she's like a researcher is what she is. And her area of expertise is in studying uh, and researching and writing on the topic of vulnerability and how it plays out in the love and joy and peace and all of that in our lives. Uh, and in her words, she said this, she said, I went into this study expecting to find that gratitude was the result of joy. That joyful people live a life of gratitude. Uh, but what I found was the exact opposite. It was actually the people who practiced gratitude at the highest level that actually experienced the most joy. Just, just to kind of summarize it, it's like this. It's not joy that makes us grateful. It's gratitude that makes us joyful. All right? And we're going to kind of flesh this out a little bit, and then we're going to look and see kind of how this plays out in the Bible as well. Over and over again, she began to find uh, that like this relationship with individuals who were experiencing the most deep down internal overflowing joy in their life, like it, 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 it was connected with the tangible practice of gratitude in their life. This is not Bible that I'm talking about. This is science, psychology, research is what this is. And it got to the point where for her, as a researcher, uh, she began to write things like, joy is actually not possible without gratitude. It's not even possible. And gratitude says that what we have is enough. Gratitude is essential to experiencing joy in your life, but here's the issue. All sorts of things in our culture, in America, uh, and everywhere that we look are actually pulling us away from a lifestyle of gratitude and actually pulling us towards this lifestyle of, I don't have enough, and I need more, and accumulation instead of appreciation in our life, which leads to a lack of joy as we feel like we do not have enough and we are not enough. Now, a few moments ago, we read something from the Bible uh, that actually points to this, in a way, this pull away from gratitude. It's from a book of the Bible, Old Testament book, thousands of years ago, uh, that's called Deuteronomy. It tells the story of ancient Israel uh, after they had been set free from slavery in Egypt. 
The, the Israelite people, the Jewish people, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and they cried out to God and said, God, we, we need your help. God miraculously shows up, sets them free. The Ten Commandments or the Ten Plagues show up in this, and uh, you can see some of this in movies and different type of things. Crazy stuff starts happening. Miraculously, these, these million Israelites are freed from slavery with God's help, and it's this beautiful thing. God rescues these people, and then he kind of makes a deal with them. He makes a promise. He gives them a promise. This promise is, God tells these people, if you honor me, if, if you follow me, if you put me first in your life, then I will take care of you and I will be your God. And then he says, your plants, are, your, your crops will grow bigger, your, you know, whatever, You're, you will have favor over your enemies, all of that. And he, it's this beautiful promise that God gives to these people right here. Uh, and then he sets up these laws and commands and instructions for what that looks like. This promise was incredible, but it also came with a warning, a warning with it, because God knew something at this point that really the people didn't knew. God knew that, that once things began to start going well for these people, the temptation would always be there for them, for them to forget about God. The better that things went for them, the easier it was going to be for them to forget that it was God who actually rescued them from what they were in before. All right? Uh, and so here's, here's what we read. This is verse number 10. That's, all, that's the context of what's happening. And what we have here are the words of God uh, spoken through this man named Moses, who was the leader of all of the Israelites at this point. And he writes all this stuff down, what God had said to him, this warning to all of these people. And we have that still in our Bible today, which is an amazing thing from thousands of years ago. But he, so here's what God says to these people. When you have eaten and are satisfied... Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The word praise here, it's a mirror word to the word gratitude. Uh, it's to give thanks or to acknowledge or to speak words of excellence uh, about. God tells these people who used to be slaves but are now free, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the good. Or for, for the sake of today, we could say give thanks to God for the good the good land and everything that you have. Verse 11, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you this day. Verse 12, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied and when you build fine houses, now this stuff would have been non-existent for these people, okay, as they were slaves for 400 years. When you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. Your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. When you eat and are satisfied, this would have been an issue for these people, these slaves. Eating and being satisfied would have not been a part of their normal life anymore. This is like all of a sudden you're receiving the blessing and the amazing stuff that is part of being free and, and, and wealth. When you build fine houses and you start to settle down and your herds and your flocks start to grow and you start to accumulate more and more and more. You get the picture here. Uh, silver and gold increase, all you have is multiplied. Like, understand what is happening here. God is speaking uh, to former slaves who were desperate for him, 
who needed him, who cried out to him in so many different ways, people who experienced God do incredible things right here, but God warns them so clearly that when things start to go well, the temptation is going to be there for you to forget me, for you to forget Forget that you used to be this and that I did this and that, okay, all of that. Then your hearts will become proud and you'll forget God. And then the author Moses, he, he, Moses, he goes on this rant in verse 15 of all these things God had done for them. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought water out of a hard rock. It's talking about that the people were dying, you know, because they didn't have enough water, and God miraculously, water starts pouring out of a rock, and it saves the people. That's what he's saying here. Uh, he gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. There was no food, and all of a sudden, like little pieces of bread start raining from the sky. God did that for them. You can read about that. Okay, it's crazy. Uh, something your ancestors have never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. God did all of that stuff for you. He freed you, led you, fed you, provided for you, gave you water when you needed it. He did all of that. And then verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. You may say to yourself, my power, my strength, the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Here's the point of all this, okay? Uh, God's making it clear to these people when things go well for them, they are susceptible to a few very specific things happening. Uh, destructive things, unhealthy things, things that drive a wedge between them and God. They were supposed to be on this beautiful journey where they follow God and he provides for them. They trust God and he comes through. They obey God's command and he shows himself in all sorts of amazing different ways. This was not about follow these rules, follow this law, follow this. It was this agreement and this promise a beautiful thing between these people and God. But when things go well, you're susceptible to these things. And this is very real for us here and now, by the way. By the way, okay? Here's a couple of things. Number one, when things are good, it's easier for us to become less grateful. Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? You'd think that the better things go in people's lives, the more grateful we would be, right? Doesn't that make sense? The more that someone does for me, the more I would be grateful for them. Like, that, this, this sounds backwards to me. Like, it, but for some reason, God is just pointing at this fact. It's like, it's, it's simply not how it typically works. The more that we have, the more that goes through our hands, the bigger the homes, the nicer the car, the less grateful we actually became. By the way, I read something the other day. Did you know that the size of houses are up 70% since the 1970s? The size of a the average home. That is crazy to me. That's the side note right there. Okay, But the nicer the car, the bigger the home, the less grateful we actually become. Now, this is the story from the passage these people were slaves, and it starts with, when you have eaten your fill and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the good. Tell me this, why in the world would Moses have to tell these people to praise God for the good? 
That seems stupid, doesn't it? That seems like, why? Why does Moses have to say, hey, praise God for the good things. Shouldn't that just overflow? We were slaves. Now we have houses and gold and stuff. And now Moses is saying, hey, don't forget to praise God for the good. Why does he, I'll tell you why. He's like, this is a warning to these people because that naturally doesn't happen. The more we have, like it's a, it's a warning to people like you and me, people who have plenty, people who have plenty of food to eat. You, you may not think that you are rich and you, that you are wealthy, but to, to, to 90% of the world, they look at somebody who has a different, you know, you, you have food to eat three times a day, every day, you are rich. You have a different pair of clothes to wear every day of the week. Are you kidding me? Why would anyone need that? Okay, you have a house to park your, garage, your, your car in. It's bigger than the house that I live in. You have a storage unit to put all the junk that won't fit into your house and it's bigger than the place that my entire family lives in. Like, think about this. In, American, in America right now, like we are, we are building bigger and bigger and bigger. It's a beautiful thing, but don't, but don't miss this. We, we are wealthier than every, any nation ever in the history of the world right now. And, and what we have is absolutely supernaturally massive. And we don't feel wealthy. Why? Because we're always comparing ourselves to the person right next to us who has a little bit more. When, when 7% of the world, you know, w- would look at anyone who has a single car and say, or uh, uh, 93% of the world, 7% of the world has one car, uh, 96% of, or 4% of the world, I'm saying this, sorry, 7% of the world has one car, 4% of the world has two cars in their family. Our entire world right now. That is sick. That's crazy. Okay, and he says, says as things go better and better, it's easy for you to forget to be grateful. Oh, interesting. Okay. Second, as things go better and better for us, like when things are good, it is easier to forget God. To forget God. Verse 11, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Verse 14, you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The better things are, the more we have And the longer we have them, the easier it gets for us to just kind of forget. The farther and farther the Israelites got away from slavery in Egypt, the easier and easier it became for them to forget what God had done. Okay? Uh, Forget God's part in our lives. And here's what goes with that. And this this leads to just number three right away here. When things are good, it's easier to think of ourselves higher than we ought to. To think of ourselves in that way. Verse number 14, then your heart will become proud. Your heart will become proud. When you have more and more and more and more and everything's multiplied and you have whatever, whatever, and all this type of stuff, then your heart will become proud. Verse 17, then you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I did it. I did it. It was all me. I worked hard, and this is what I have to show for it. Okay, kind of sounds like some things Americans would say. I've worked hard, and I've done this, and this belongs to me, and I earned it, and if you would just work hard, you could do it for yourself as well. Okay, build this, like this whole piece right here just says, man, the more and more and more a person has, the easier it is for us to think of ourselves a lot higher than we should. 
that we are much better than we should be, okay? When you're a slave in Egypt, you, re- you aren't really filled with the sense of arrogance and pride over what you've accomplished. Like you're just not. Why? Because no matter who you are, you're stuck in slavery. But when things start to go well, when more money begins to go through your hands, when you have plenty of food, you have extra food, the temptation is to sit back in your comfy chair and just kind of think to yourself, wow, I am truly something. I'm something. Look at everything I have. Look at everything I've accumulated and accomplished. Like, it's amazing what a little hard work can do. And, oh, good looks, I suppose that helps too. You know, that's, maybe you didn't say that. But listen, listen, write this down if you're taking notes. This is it right here. A lack of gratitude leads to an elevated view of ourselves, which leads to a stagnant and stuck spiritual life. The entire story of the gospel is of people who could not do it themselves. We are helpless. We are helpless in our sin. We are helpless in the destruction that we have created in our lives. And it is only because of God that we have anything. That we, have, that we are able to live and that we're able to be free and that we're able to be forgiven. It's only because of God. We have done nothing to deserve it. We have done nothing to earn it. And a lack of gratitude leads to this ill-elevated view of myself, which leads to a stagnant and stuck spiritual life because you simply cannot experience more of God in your life if you are stuck on yourself. In fact, you could make an argument that more of God in your life is simply less of yourself in your life. God, more more of you and less of me. John the Baptist said that about Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. Spiritual growth is when we begin to empty this ourself out of ourself and replace that with more of God in ourself. Some of you are like, that doesn't make any sense. Okay? Where we go like this and he goes like this, and a lack of gratitude will keep you from doing that. You may have moments of happiness. You can find that. You can work hard. You can buy things. You can buy a new truck and drive that thing home. And I'm telling you, you will be happy for a little bit. Okay? You will. I'm not here to tell you that. Like, you can go to a party and have all sorts of fun, and you will be happy in that moment. You can watch the football game today, and you will be happy. Right? That was, yeah, okay. Some of you are like, I don't know, I watch a lot of Vikings games. Okay, but, but seriously, you can, find, you can find a pretty girl and hold her hand and you will be happy. Okay? Like you will feel that, but, but that, understand those are temporary moments. And some of us and many of us, you have tried for your entire life to find some sort of something that fulfills you. And you jump from one moment of happiness to another over and over and over again. That's why we have the average American has like $16,000 worth of credit card debt in their family. Why do they do that? Because they have this view of, if I buy this right now, I can't afford it, but if I buy it right now, it'll make me happy. That's why alcohol, and this like unhealthy use of alcohol and drugs is rampant and everywhere and all over the place. Every one of us knows people that are messed up in some of this stuff. 
Some of you, that's your story, and some of you, that's where you're at even right now, because we're trying to find happiness, and we fill it with moments of that. I go drink this and go here and be that, and I feel happy for a moment. Then I wake up the next morning and reality hits. Understand what's happening here in our culture, in all of this, okay? Uh, like, I'm telling you, there is a There is a deep, inside, overflowing, overwhelming joy that can become the very center of who you are. And it's very different than this momentary happiness that you are searching for. Our culture is pulling us away from that every moment of every day, telling us we don't have enough, we deserve more, and we've got what what it takes to do it, that we don't need help. Gratitude, gratitude just says, what I have is enough. Gratitude says what I have is enough. And perhaps this isn't all about accumulation as much as it is appreciation for what I do have and what God has done for me. Do you, do you know this? Gra- gratitude can literally change everything around you even if nothing else changes. That's pretty good. Like gratitude can change everything around you even if nothing else in your life changes. Because it's a, it's a flip in your mind, a different approach and a different way to go about this. And here's uh, right here, from a Jesus-centered perspective, write this down if you're taking notes. Gratitude is living your life with a realization and understanding that everything you have is from God and for God. From a Christian perspective, from a Jesus-centered perspective, okay, you could define this in the world in different ways in gra- with gratitude. What we're talking about here, becoming unstuck in our spiritual life, it's living our lives with a realization and understanding that everything I have is from God. And everything I have is for God. Like, un- understand, God, God has given you life. God, there is nothing you have done God has given you breath. Everything you have and everything you are, it's from him. Your children, your children are from God. Your home, it's all all from him. And when you realize that, when you understand that, and gratitude begins to like flow out of the very depth of who you are. Like I'm, I, I'm not just talking about an attitude of gratitude. I know it sounds nice and it rhymes and it's, it's like, yeah, let's have an attitude of gratitude. But I'm telling you, unless an attitude of gratitude like leads to a practice and a behavior, it really isn't going to impact you. It's when all of this overflows out of our heart and out of our mind and begins to change everything we do and and everything we say and the way that we live as we are overflowed with this understanding that everything that I am and everything God is all for you and it's all from you. It's this beautiful thing. Music team, will you please come? Listen, this morning has... What I didn't like about this message is I was kind of putting it together, totally from like a selfish me perspective, by the way, because that's putting way too much weight on my words and all of this and not enough on what God is doing in our hearts. But what I didn't like about this is that I, 
I didn't feel like there was just this natural way to apply this. And I felt like many of us were just gonna kind of leave in a little, a, with like this vague idea of, okay, well yeah, I think I'm kind of, I'm pretty grateful. You know, this is probably good for somebody, but like, but, but I'm, I'm telling you, there's, there's something here and it's much bigger than you think. There's something vital. There's something powerful. There's something that can change your life. There's something that can unstuck your relationship with God. And, and, and my prayer for this morning was just that, that many of us would just, in a way, experience a level of gratitude that maybe we have never experienced as we really just kind of come face to face with the understanding that everything we have, everything is from God and for God. God sent his very son to die so that we could be forgiven and free and then we go around like Christians acting like that isn't a real thing. We say it out loud, we sing about it, but think about the magnitude of what that means. God has made a way. There's nothing you could do. You cannot be good enough. It is only through the amazing grace of our God, the suffering and death of Jesus. Please stand with me all over this place. God, we are, we are so grateful for what you have done, God. We honor you. We, we remember you, God, for, for who you are and your goodness and your mercy and your grace. God, the, the things that we have, the blessings we have, the wealth that we have, God, we, we, just, we just totally and completely acknowledge that you are the source of all of that. And God, we desire to, to live our lives in a way that just overflows with gratitude, overflows with worship and praise for everything that you have done and everything you have given us. God, we, we just worship you because there is, there is nothing that is like you, God. We can search and we can look and we can try things to fill this void and the emptiness, God, things that make us happy for a moment. God, but what we are after is this overflowing joy, this internal deep down something, the way that we view the world because of what you have done. And so God, we just worship you together. We express our gratitude to you, oh God, for everything we truly do. And Lord, I just pray, I pray that even in this moment right here, God, that for someone in this place, we would be gripped by, by what you have done and gratitude would become just the center of who we are, that it would not just be our attitude and not just be in our mind that we are grateful, but God, that this would overflow into a practice, into behavior, God, and it would change the way that we live our lives. Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful, God, for what you have done. And with everything in us, we will, we will fight to not forget you. God, I pray that you would even in different ways humble, humble us as naturally, God, we, we have a tendency to become proud. We have a tendency to think higher of ourselves than we should. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us with that. Humble us, oh God. We love you and we need you.
your name when we pray. Church, before we go, just one final thing. Uh, we always just want to give people an opportunity to, to respond to the message of Jesus, even for the first time. And so uh, maybe you're here today and you have never responded to this message, the message that, that God sent his son to die for you and you can be free and forgiven and experience him in this relationship with him with no one looking around. If you're here today and you would just simply say, Pastor Kyle, I, I've never done that. I've never made that decision to, to respond to the message of Jesus even for the first time. And I want to do that today. If that's you, will you just, will you just show me a hand? I just want to pray for you today. If you're online right now and you're watching with us, you can respond as well. We want you to do that. There's a thing you can click in a description or something that says respond. We want you to respond. Anyone, anyone in the room with us right now that would just say, yeah, that's me. Church, can we just say a prayer together? Uh, everyone in this place, let's pray this together. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Let's just celebrate. What a beautiful day. What an incredible moment for some of us here today. All right. May you walk out these doors today overflowing with gratitude for what God has done in your life. Amen? Amen. All right. Thanks so much.